You uh, probably didn't expect to hear that song when you came to church today, right? But we're in the book of James. We're at this series called Pressure Point, and the next section of Scripture is on money. But before we get into that, let me make mention of our contact update sheet. Some of you got those when you came in the room. For those watching on the stream and at home, uh, if you would, take the time to go to the Sagebrush app. You in the room can do this as well. You can open the Sagebrush app. Give us your latest, greatest information. We will, in turn, give you the latest and greatest information about Sagebrush Church. If you did fill one of these contact information sheets last week, uh, or if you did it on the app, please don't do it again. We don't need a duplicate of the information you've already given to us. That just messes with our data processing people, so we'd appreciate that. But if you weren't here last week or you didn't fill it out, please take the time to fill one of the contact update sheets on the list, all right? I've been wanting to tell you about a little bit of an update. For those of you who are brand new to Sagebrush, a couple of years ago, right at the end of COVID, we raised four and a half million dollars to send overseas to plant churches and to help existing congregations have permanent facilities. We were able to build 86 churches in one year, at least the physical property, and we told you that your tithes and your offerings would continually be building new facilities for churches that are meeting. And so we wanted to share with you just a couple of more churches that you have started to build that you might not be aware of. Take a look at this. This year, you have gone above and beyond as a church. You saw the need and you met the need. Your incredible generosity has enabled Sagebrush to undertake 10 additional mission projects in 2023 so that we may continue to fulfill our mission of making Christ known. And so far, thanks to your generous donations and your faithfulness, Sagebrush has partnered with Trailhead International. We have been able to commit $15,000 towards the building of a church in Burkina Faso. In addition, the people in Tanzania, Arusha, have received $60,000 from Sagebrush in order to build a church in their community. Take a look at this video we received from the community in Tanzania. Is your faithfulness in action. This is your generosity put to work. This is hope being spread across the world. Thanks to your willingness to step up and give to the church, both of these buildings have been fully funded. The people in these communities and many more are hearing the word of God and Christ's love is spreading to those who desperately need it. And because of your support, this year, we have the opportunity to come alongside Trailhead International and give to eight additional communities in order to build better facilities that will enable our mission to know Christ and to make Christ known. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Very exciting stuff right there. Boy, that's just some of the tithe dollars that you give every week in the collection boxes and you give online. Uh, we appreciate so much your generosity. This will put us almost at 100 churches that we've helped out along the way in just a short amount of time. And one thing I know about you folks is you're going to continue to push us to continue to do more and more and more. I just look forward to that day 
when we stand before the Father and we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I know that's what you are living for. And then they get the opportunity to meet people who you've blessed through your financial support to, so they could hear the message of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. It's all about people. All right, let's talk a little bit about money today. There was a doctor a lawyer and a preacher, they all had the same friend. They went to the hospital to visit him because he was terminally ill and they said he wasn't going to last much longer. And so they sat down, they talking to him. He said, listen, guys, I've got $30,000 and I want to be buried with my money. I'm going to give each of you $10,000 and when it's time for you to pay your final respects after I die, just put the $10,000 in my coffin, let me be buried with it. So they said they would. Well, the day came when he died and a few days later they had the funeral and each of them went by paying their final respects. Each of them put something in the casket and then afterwards they went out and they got a cup of coffee. They were talking, and the doctor said, listen, I, I feel so bad. I feel so guilty. I didn't put all $10,000 in the coffin. I only put $8,000 there. I kept $2,000. You, you know, I had taken care of Joe for all those months, and he, he was racking up some medical bills, and I didn't realize he had $30,000, so I didn't charge him for the last few things I did for him. So that $2,000 recoups it. And one thing I know about him is that he would always want to pay his debt, so I kept some of the money for myself. Preacher said, I'm so glad you said something because I only put $7,000 in the casket. I kept $3,000. You know, John loved the piano and he knows our piano was going bad at the church. And so I put that donation towards a piano at the church. But I feel so bad. I feel so guilty about it. The lawyer said, let me tell you what I did. He said, I kept my $10,000. And then, Doc, I took your $8,000 out of the coffin. And Preacher, I took your $7,000 out of the coffin. And I wrote a check for $30,000 and I put it in the coffin. There was a little girl. She was running around. She had a string hanging out from one of her teeth. She was looking for a doorknob. Her dad caught her and said, what in the world are you doing? And she said, well, I, I, I got to pull this tooth. He said, let me check that tooth out, see what's going on. He started rubbing on that tooth. He said, that tooth's not even loose. She said, leave me alone, Dad. I need the money. <laughs> Friends, we're going to talk about money today. And it's one of those subjects that just ticks people off. And I don't know why it ticks people off. I know when I talk about it, it ticks people off like never before. And I just need you to relax, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've ever read the Bible, then you know the Bible talks about money. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And, and, I, and I think there was a reason for that. Because we have this propensity to sometimes make the almighty dollar more important than the almighty God. And so Jesus is going to warn us over and over again in Scripture to be careful about how we steward the resources that have been entrusted to our care. I was reading a book the other day by Larry Burkett, and I want you to hear what he said. He said, the greatest threat to Christianity isn't drugs, sex, rape, murder, or even politicians. The greatest threat to Christianity is materialism. Now, let me start off before I get into this passage of Scripture to just let you know that there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. 
There's no place in Scripture that says it's a sin to have a large amount of money or to be considered a wealthy person. In fact, all throughout the Bible, we read about one wealthy person after another, don't we? We've got Job. He was the wealthiest person during his generation. And after he had lost everything, God in the end blessed him with a double portion. We also have Abraham. He was an extremely rich person. King David was rich as well. King Solomon, richest person to ever walk the face of the earth. These billionaires that we have today, all their money pales in comparison to the riches that King Solomon had. In the New Testament, we, we got Barnabas. He was a rich guy because he went off and what did he do? He sold a field and then he brought the proceeds of the money. He laid it down before the disciples. I think we might even be here today because of his generosity because that generosity fueled the message of Jesus. Christ going to the ends of the world. And of course, we know Joseph of Arimathea was a very rich person. He gave Jesus his tomb. Granted, Jesus only used it for three days, but it was still a nice gesture when you think about it. Friends, God's not against wealth. God's not against you accumulating as much as you want to accumulate as long as you meet three criteria or three conditions. You ready? As long as you don't become a workaholic, and alienate yourself from your family. There's a lot of people working harder for the almighty dollar than they're working for their wife or they're working for their husband or they're working for their kids. And they justify their workaholism to say, I'm providing things for them that I didn't have. Sounds really good, but your kids need your presence more than they need your presence. You understand the difference between the two? So you make all you want as long as you don't become a workaholic, alienate your family, and ruin your life. You can also make as, long as, as much as you want as long as you don't take advantage of other people or hurt your own health. Seems like about every week we hear about somebody having a heart attack, stressed out, anxious, all for the pursuit of money. You can also make all the money you want to as long as you don't become a greedy, materialistic jerk. But there's a lot of people that have become greedy and materialistic jerks because all they think about is their stuff and all they want to do is they want to accumulate just a little bit more. Friends, God's not opposed to wealth. God's opposed to the misuse of money. He's opposed to the fact that you have money and you don't know what in the world to do with it. So today we're going to look at the harshest, one of the harshest passages of Scripture in all of the Bible when it comes to money. Some of you are sitting here going, man, I wish I would have read ahead in James. I could have skipped this week and missed this one and gone to the end of this thing. I'm glad that you're here. Listen, we're going to talk about wealthy people. At least James is. Now some of you are going, whew, I'm so glad this doesn't apply to me today. You don't understand. You're wealthy. According to the globe standard, if you own a car, you ready for this? You're richer than 97% of the world's population. See, the problem is you don't know what the real world is like because you've never traveled overseas to see what the suffering is, the poverty is, the malnourishment is. You live in America, the land of plenty. But I can tell you, every person watching us from Belize, they'll tell you you're blessed. They'll tell you that you are some of the richest people, some of the most wealthy people that the world has ever had. Now, listen, when I'm going through this message today, I don't want you to feel guilty for your wealth. I don't ever want you to feel guilty for the blessings of God. 
And and if I cause you to feel guilty, if you leave this place and somehow you feel guilty for God's blessing, I have done you a disservice. I mean, when someone feels guilty, the next response isn't going to be generosity. But when you feel blessed, when you're grateful, when you understand how much God has blessed you and what he has blessed you for, well, all of a sudden, you can leave this world in better shape than you, than you found it. All of a sudden, you, you can make an impact for God unlike anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. So let's get into the message today. Here we go. James chapter 5, verse 1. It's going to be rough. Here we go. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatted yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Okay, you ready to go for this? Two ways that we misuse money according to this passage of Scripture. One is this. They were earning their money in dishonest ways. He says, you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now, what I'm going to tell you is going to be absolutely shocking to you. But in the first century, there was a way for rich people to manipulate the judicial system by paying off judges and lawyers. Can you imagine a a judicial system... Where the poor go to jail and the wealthy get off scot-free because they're paying money. Yeah, you can kind of imagine that, can't you? That's exactly what they were doing to these people. Not only were they doing that, manipulating the laws, manipulating the judicial system, but they were also ripping people off. James says, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In the first century, if you wanted a job, you didn't get to have a job day after day after day after day. They hired you for one day. That's all you got. And so every day you had to show up and you had to give your very best. And if you didn't give your best in that day, you're probably going to be passed over the next day. So all the men would go down to the city swinner and they were in hopes that they would be picked to harvest the fields, mow the fields. So the foreman would show up and they'd say, I want this guy and I want this guy and I want this guy. And they'd bring you over and then you would barter for how much money you were going to receive on that particular day for your full day's work. So you were just excited to be picked. And then you would go out in the fields and you work 8, 10, 12 hours in the hot sun, sweating, you're thirsty, you're exhausted. At the end of the day, you were to get your pay for that day. But what was decided you were going to be paid in the morning ended up being a different amount in the evening. It always ended up being a little bit less because they say, you didn't get as much of the field done as we thought. So what was happening was rich people were getting richer off the backs of the poor just to make more profit. Friends, you say, what in the world? What what, what does this have to do with us today? Well, it's really quite simple. If you're in a position of leadership, then, then treat your employees fairly. If you're someone who's the employer, 
then you should be one who is a servant leader to the people who are working with you and for you. You should be there for the benefit of them. You should be lifting them up. You should be helping them reach the heights and the, and the depths of what God would have them to accomplish. And if you're one of those people who's working for someone else and someone's giving you a paycheck, then you should put in a fair day's worth of work for that wage that you've agreed to. This stuff of coming in late and leaving early and doing extended lunch periods, that's ridiculous. You're ripping off your boss. You say, well, he deserves to be ripped off. No, I don't think you understand who you're working for. See, you think you're working for the man, but you're working for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it for him. And you do it like Jesus would do it. So if we were to apply this today, we'd say, oh, let's be above board in our businesses. Let us make certain that we sell our, our goods with a, at a fair wage. Let's make certain that we take care of our employees. Let's make certain that, our, uh, uh, that we put in a full day's work. Let's make certain that we don't cheat on our taxes. Let's not become like these people that we read about in the book of James. Here's the bottom line. Followers of Christ should be the hardest working people the world's ever seen. There should be a difference in our work ethic because we're fighting and we're working for the King of Kings and for the Lord of Lords. So that was the first mistake they were making. Let me give you the second one. They spent all their money on themselves. He says, you hoarded wealth in the last days. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten all your clothes. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. So here's what was happening. They, they were spending every dime they got on themselves. They were building up their kingdom of mud that was here today and gone tomorrow. And they were ignoring the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you a question. What clothes get moth-eaten? The clothes that you wear or the clothes that you don't wear that are hanging in your closet? It's the clothes that you don't wear, right? And what food spoils? The, the food that you eat or the extra food that you have that you forgot that you... Like if I go to my mom's house, she's got spoiled food from 1999. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That, thing, that stuff is growing legs on its own. It's even walking out to head to the trash can itself, right? He says you've hoarded. You've kept it all for yourself. So here's the question that James is posing. You ready for this? How much is too much? Let me talk to the ladies here for just a second. How many purses is enough purses? Is it one? I know the answer is no. Is it five? Is it 10? Is it 15 purses? Is it 20? Here's the bottom line answer. No woman knows because they've never gotten to that number. Do you understand? How many pairs of shoes? Ladies, ladies, ladies. How many pairs of shoes? Until you say, you know what? That's enough pairs of shoes. Ladies, let me ask you a question. How many pillows? How many pillows? I've got 15 pillows on my bed. It takes me 10 minutes to move the pillows off my bed. I think in the middle of the night, the pillows get together and make baby pillows. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they're just showing up all the time. How many lamps, ladies, do you need? How many lamps do you need? How many throw blankets? 
How many throw blankets does a person need? Let me talk to the guys for just a second. How many gizmos? How many gadgets? Gentlemen, how many TVs? How many TVs do you need? And how big must that TV be? I'm saying 85 inch or it's a wussy TV. That's what I'm saying right now. You got to go big or go home. How much is enough? You say, preacher, what is it? I don't know. No place in scripture that ever tells us that. But I know this, if you don't wrestle with this from time to time, it could be your money's got you. It could be that you've misplaced your priorities just a little bit because you think that life all has to do with the abundance of the stuff that you accumulate along the way. And let me remind you, one day you will breathe your last breath and you will leave all of this stuff behind. I, I wish I could answer the question. I wish I could say, you know, this is it. Ladies, this is how many purses. Ladies, this is how many pillows. This is how many gizmos and gadgets. And this is how big your TV should be. And this is how many. I wish I could tell you that. But I did find something that I thought was interesting. This is a, from one of the books that I read from Andy Stanley. It was called Eight Ways. Let me show you. Eight Ways That You Can Know If Your Money Has You. So see if any of these things are, are true about you. If you're spending more than you make each month, your money has you. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you're spending as much as you make each month, your money has you. And this is most people in America today. I, the last I read was about 73% of people are still living paycheck to paycheck. Let, let me give you another one. If you don't know what you're spending each month, your month has got you. Your money's got you. If you don't even know where it's going, if you're surprised at the end of the month that you find yourself in deeper debt, your money has got a hold of you. Let me give you another one. If you don't tithe, if you don't give 10% to the work of God, your money has you. And I don't care if you're making 3 bucks an hour or you're making $300 an hour. You're supposed to honor God with a tithe. That's a biblical principle. God commands us to do it. Let me give you another one. If you're making financial decisions without your spouse knowing about it, your money has you. If, you're, if you bought a pickup truck and you pull in the driveway and your wife doesn't know you were buying the pickup truck, you are an idiot. Do you understand? Not only does your money have you, but you're not a very bright person. Because when you get married, the two become one. One in aim, one in name, one in finances as well. You don't make decisions in isolation of each other. You come together because it's your money together. It's not my money, her money. It's our money. Your money has you. Let me give you another one. If you're buying groceries with a credit card because you have to, your money has you. Let me give you another one. If you're only making the minimum payment on your credit cards, your money has you. One more. If you're dreading a teaching series on finances, <laughs> your money has you. Years ago, I hated going to church and listening to preachers talk about money because I didn't know what I was doing with it. Christian and I got married. I'm on staff. Uh, we didn't know how to handle our money, didn't know how to handle our finances. We were six, seven, eight thousand dollars in credit card debt. We didn't save anything for our future. We didn't give a dime to God. 
We robbed God week after week after week. We didn't give a dime to the collection boxes. And we were absolutely miserable. And we were fighting all the time. We were victims of what we called the mall effect. Let me talk to the young people for just a second. There was a day when people went to the mall. Uh, This was before Amazon happened, you see. And we would go to the mall just to peruse the different shops whenever we were bored. And we never had any intention of buying anything. But when you saw the displays and you saw all the newest and latest, greatest stuff, you began to believe that your stuff wasn't as good as that stuff, right? You walk into a mall and you're like, you think your clothes are in style. And then you see the new styles and you're like, oh, man, I look like a filthy rag. I need some new clothes right there. And same way when we went with home decor, my wife would drag me to the Hobby Lobby. Oh, I hate the Hobby Lobby. I think hell's entrance is a Hobby Lobby. That's what I think, man. Because when a man walks into a Hobby Lobby, every bit of energy gets sucked out of his body. It's awful. She dragged me to the Hobby Lobby. She dragged me to Michael's. She dragged me to Pier One. Remember when there was Pier One? You know where she's dragging me now? Because we, we no longer go to the Hobby Lobby. Where do we go? Ladies, you know. Starts with home. Home goods. Oh, I hate that store. I wish that store would burn to the ground. That's what I wish. I hate that store. All of a sudden, all of our home decor, out of style. We got to get new home decor. How many times you been and you see the latest, greatest gizmo or gadget, gentlemen, and you say, oh, my goodness, well, this thing can do this, 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 and this, and my gizmo or gadget can't do this, this, and this, so I need to get this thing so I can do this, this, and this. We never seem to be satisfied. We always want more. That was my problem. So what was my antidote? I went on a mission trip. You ever been overseas? You ever been to a third world country? You ever talk to people who are dying from starvation? Just go to Mexico. Walk the Pallet City. It's street after street. Hundreds of thousands of people. And their homes are made of pallets. And they put cardboard over them so when it begins to rain, it doesn't pound on them immediately until the cardboard soaks through. Look at the child with the extended belly who's staring out the little window that they've made of these pallets that they put together with chicken wire and then come back and tell yourself you need just a little bit more. Because I came back from those trips and I saw that poverty and I saw that heartache and I thought, do I really need more? Friends, I don't know how much is is too much. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but I know this, you ought to be wrestling with it. Because we've been blessed so much, but are we blessed so much just to bless ourselves? Or or could there be something greater behind the blessing? Years ago, Christy said, we got to get our financial life in order. And so we said, we're going to live on 80% of our income. We're going to give 10% away to the church, to the things of God, so the message of Jesus can spread. We're going to save 10% for our retirement. And, And we've honored God with that. And God has honored us. But we we did something that was kind of interesting for us. Not every time did we do this, but many times when I would get a raise, we would act as if we didn't get the raise. See, we would live on the same lifestyle that we were living on before. See, what happens a lot of times, you get a bump in salary, you get a bonus or something, and all of a sudden you think, well, we can afford a nicer house, we can afford a nicer car, we can go do this, we can go do this, we can go buy that. We didn't do any of that. We, we just said, you know what, let's act like that money doesn't exist so we can be more generous. 
God's blessed us. We already have all the stuff that we need. So let's be a blessing to somebody else. Let's sponsor some kids overseas. Let's give more money to the church. And so today, we're giving more than we ever have before. My, my goodness, that 10% tithe thing, that's the basics. That's the bare minimum. That's commanded of us to give. I don't want to just give him what he commands. I want to give him a gift. I want to give him above and beyond that. Now, I wasn't always that way, obviously. But that's what God has welled up in my heart. And now today we're saving more for retirement than we ever have before. Because if you honor God, he will honor you. But i got to be honest, we still got so much stuff. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you got so much stuff you can't even park your car in your garage. Now, I can park my car in my garage, but I got stuff in that garage, and that stuff just drives me absolutely crazy because at one point in time, I thought that was the greatest stuff ever, but now it's moved out to the garage, waiting for the inevitable garage sale. Some of you have so much stuff you can't even park your car because you have so much stuff. Some of you have so much stuff that you bought storage sheds in your backyard. Some of you got so much stuff that you pay rent to store your stuff. How much is too much? And at what point do you say, this is enough? Millard Fuller is the uh, man who started Habitat for Humanity. For those of you who don't know, Habitat for Humanity is the one who provides homes for poor people. And he had this, this seminar, this conference with all these pastors and uh, he said, what's the biggest problem in the church today? And then this is what those pastors said. They, they said it was materialism. They, they said, we're not able to do the things that we know we need to do. We can't even upgrade our facilities because people are, are just building their own little kingdoms. Nobody seems to care about the message and the mission of Jesus anymore. So he asked a question of them, a follow-up question. He said, well, let me ask you, since you think materialism is a big issue, is there a size of house that when it gets to be a certain size, that house becomes sinful? How many of you think that there's a size of house that when it gets to be on this square footage, it becomes sinful? And every pastor said, oh, yeah, they believed it. Every, 200 of them raised their hand immediately. So he followed up, and he asked the question, how many square feet is it? Is it 1,000 square feet, 2,000 square feet, 3,000 square feet? And they all sat there in silence. They didn't know. One guy in the back finally broke the silence, and he said, when the house is bigger than mine, it becomes a sin. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, listen, everybody who's got more than I've got is greedy, but I'm okay. You see, you, 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 have, to, you have to wrestle with this, don't you? What are, you, what are you investing in? I, I'm so tired of having garage sales where five years earlier I paid $150 for something. I put it in my garage sale for five bucks and somebody comes in and, and barters me down to two. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm sick of that. I'm sick of giving myself to things that don't matter, to things that don't count. And I know you're the same way. You know how I know that? Because we're having banner years. For the last four, five, six years, even during COVID, we've had banner years financially. Uh, we're not preaching this because the church is somehow in need of getting more money. You've been so very generous. I mean, because of you, the poor are being fed. And the poor are being clothed. Because of you, prisoners are being cared for. 
Because of you, single moms and the elderlies are getting their cars taken care of at our pit stop ministry every third Saturday of the month on most of our campuses, and they're getting it free of charge. Because of you, there are campuses all over New Mexico and in Belize, and those are care centers where people come and they, they find that God is so good. And people who were destined to go to hell are now going to go to heaven because you cared enough to spread the message of Jesus to those people. I mean, because of you, marriages are being restored. Prodigal sons and daughters are coming home. Because of you, addictions are being broken. And sin is losing its grip in people's lives. Let me show you just a little bit of what's been done this past year. Take a look at this. We're halfway through 2023, and already so many amazing things have taken place. Let's take a look at what God has accomplished so far. Throughout the years, Sagebrush has been privileged to baptize thousands of people. And so far this year, we have witnessed 787 people publicly proclaim their love for Jesus Christ through baptism. We have been incredibly excited to welcome 1,900 children to Kids Planet every weekend. And the highlight of it all this summer was X Camp, where we had the privilege of hosting and engaging 1,206 enthusiastic kids, teaching them about God's love. Each week, our dedicated Remix team meets with 790 middle school and high school students, teaching them how to follow, love, and worship Jesus. Moreover, 1,095 students from all across New Mexico participated in Rally, where they experienced a wild and engaging atmosphere, all while learning about Christ. Through Community Connect, we provide people in need with food, clothing, and personal care items. And this year, we have been blessed to serve 1,070 individuals through our local communities. As of 2023, we have people investing in one another through meaningful connections in 318 small groups. And this year, we were able to take eight medical volunteers to Panama. We saw 344 patients, and in total, we gave 300 pairs of reading glasses and over 2,000 necessary medications and equipment, all while seeing locals come to Christ. The Sagebrush Pit Stop Team is incredible. Since the beginning of the year, we have assisted with the maintenance of 284 cars through pit stop at our Santa Fe, Farmington, Enchanted Hills, and Riverside campuses. And our annual Sagebrush Auto Show on Father's Day weekend was a hit. We saw so many dads and families from all over Albuquerque show up to check out 300 vehicles. And what's better to do during the summer than get together and hang out? Around 600 people came out to this year's Sagebrush Block Parties. In 2023, we have experienced remarkable and impactful movements of God within Sagebrush, and we love that we get to participate in His work. We're excited to witness what else He has planned for the remainder of 2023. So here, here's the question. What if all of us was as generous as some of us? What could we do? What more could we accomplish? What, what if we said, I'm not going to store up for myself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather I'll store up for myself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal? What if we cared more about the kingdom of God than we cared about our own kingdom? True story. It was a little girl 
she went to this church, and the church was packed out with people. And she was trying to get into the science school class, and the teachers turned her away, said that they had too many kids in that room. They didn't have any more chairs. So she walks down the hallway. She's very sad. The preacher stops her and says, what's going on? Why aren't you in class? And she says, the class is full. They've closed it. They won't let me in. So the pastor said, well, we're not going to have that. And so we found another chair in another room and opened the door back up and put her in there. And she was so excited to be able to go to Sunday school. Well, her and the pastor became quick friends. They became friends with the family as well. Over the next two years, he saw that little girl week after week after week after week. Place was packed every week. Well, something happened to her. I don't really know. The story doesn't tell me, but the little girl died. And the uh, parents called the pastor immediately, and he rushed over to his apartment complex right across the street. And when he went in, she was still laying there in the bed. The coroners came to take her body away, and under her, her body was a little red purse she had gotten out of a dumpster. And so they opened up the purse to see what the contents were, and it was 57 cents. And there was a note in the purse that said, this is to help build the little church bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. For two years, she had saved her offering. Well, the pastor knew exactly what he needed to do. At her funeral, he shared her story. He shared about how there wasn't enough room for her, wasn't enough space for her. She had such a heart for people who were far from God that she had saved 57 cents. Now, this happened in the late 1800s. 57 cents was a tremendous amount of money. And so he begins to turn to the leadership of the church and says, you know, we got to do something about this. we got to build bigger facilities. we got to make more space available for, for these kids to be able to come. Well, there was a newspaper reporter who caught on to the story, and he published the story. And there was a rich realtor in the area that read the story about the little girl who saved up 57 cents to make the church bigger so no one would ever be turned away. So he called the church and he said, listen, I'll sell you a large piece of property, but it's worth this amount of money. It was several thousands of dollars. And the church said, listen, we don't have the money to pay for that. And he said, well, I'll sell it to you for 57 cents. Word got out throughout the entire United States of America, and people started sending money from all kinds of places, and the church started sending money. If you're ever in Philadelphia, you can go to the church. It's called Temple Baptist Church. And it's massive, 3,300 seats, huge Sunday school wings, so no child will ever be left behind. You can also go to Temple University. That church started that school, too. You can cruise right across the street to Temple University Hospital. Or you can also go over to the Good Samaritan Hospital. It's all there to help poor people and children with their medical needs and their concerns. If you do decide to go to Philadelphia, make sure you stop by that Sunny School space. Make sure you go down the hallway where you'll see the little girl's picture with the pastor next to her. A reminder of the power of 57 cents. Jesus said, he who has been given much, much will be required. So let's be faithful to what he's given to us. How much is too much? I'll let you wrestle with that one. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this church. These are the most generous people that I've ever been associated with. And Lord, they have done so much good with the monies that they have... Uh, laid back at your feet. Lord, I, I, what could we do? What could we do? 
Lord, I pray that we would realize that we've been blessed to be a blessing and that there's more to life than the stuff that's here today and gone tomorrow. Lord, it doesn't matter how much we have to live on if we don't have anything to live for. So help us to live for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.